Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Nora Jemmel is an award-winning photographer, writer, and videographer whose work has appeared in Nat Geo Traveler, BBC Travel, Lonely Planet, Condé Nast Traveller and more. She's been the British Guild of Travel Writers Photographer of the Year and she's the author of The Travel Photographer's Way, shortlisted in the Edward Stanford Travel Writing Awards. Welcome to the latest episode of The Journey Podcast, where I, Cy Wilmore, talk with pioneers, trailblazers and thought leaders who are pushing the envelope in the travel industry. Today our story begins in Ushuaia in Argentina, where Nora is about to board a ship to Antarctica. Little did she know, Nora had a very difficult week ahead of her. When I used to live in Chile, I decided I had to go to Antarctica. It's one of the kind of, you know, it's one of those places that we all want to get to, right? So got myself down south, got myself to Ushuaia, booked an amazing trip. Um, And we were not able to board the ship for three days because there were some issues with the boat or ship, sorry, I always say boat and get told off. Um, (laughs) And they flew some engineers in to fix the problem, whatever it was, and then we were ready to go. So off we went. The Drake Passage, you'll know, is one of the most tempestuous oh, yeah. seas in, in the world. It's, it's pretty, you know, it's, it's, they, don't, they don't exaggerate how rocky and tempestuous things are. Um, and we got there, though we did our two days and got there. And we were ready for our first excursion, which we did. And we were told as we were um, disembarking that there was some good news and some bad news. And the good news that we were going for our excursion and the bad news was they'd found a crack in the boiler. Oh my lord. The ship wouldn't be safe for the amount of time we were meant to be traveling for, which was quite a long trip. It was about three weeks. And so we'd have to go back to Ushuaia that afternoon. But they were going to give us a free bar all the way back to Ushuaia, which, which, you know, is okay unless you've got seasickness, which is not such a good idea. Oh, no. Um, And so we sailed back to Ushuaia that day. And so I had four days on the Drake. But I wasn't giving up, so um, I got on the ship's satellite system and I managed to book another last-minute trip with a different wow. operator. I had one night in the Shire and then I was back on board another ship. So I did six out of seven days on the Drake Passage, and by the third go, I had some sea legs, I can tell you. Is that there right? So it literally is like a muscle memory kind of thing. You just get used you, to it. You do get used to seasickness. It's like altitude. You know, if you can yeah. sort of go slowly and acclimatise... Um, I think you just get used to what to do as well, when certain things are happening, when to not move about, you know, not to eat too much if it's going to be really rough and, mm. you know, you don't drink too much alcohol, it's not a good idea. Um, and you can get, you've got your patches and then your patches start to work better. So I was just really happy to be going, but yeah, it was exciting. So I think I might have been on the Drake Passage more than anyone I've ever heard of, but... I was going to say, you, you know- spent, like, what was it, six <laughs> days? You spent more time on the Drake Passage in a week than in most one humans week. in a life. 
I don't think many people do that. I mean, why would you? So I, I have yet to find somebody who's done that. I think I need to write an article about it. Anyone, someone want to commission me? I've got the photos as well. There so. you go. Emma, Cav, if you're listening, Julie. <laughs> um, although, I, I mean, what were the photos? What do you see out on the Drake Passage? Presumably just ocean, isn't it? Oh, we saw wandering albatross. We had an albatross above the captains on the bridge. Wow. Oh, you see a lot of animals. I mean, obviously, I did get there. So once we were there, I, I did, did the second trip. So my most of my photos are from the trip. Okay, but the first few. trip, okay. you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Drake Passage, lots of sea, well, very like 80, big waves. 80 pictures of water, yeah. <laughs> there are, you know, some guests decide it would be fun to strip off to their pants and go to the front of the ship and do a Titanic thing. That happens. <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't i won't put those photos in a magazine that would be that's all right we need a we need a cover story for issue five so job done you're becoming quite the the drake passage specialist it sounds i like. was once what in the past i had been yes yeah, so i think it's time to go back <laughs> okay all right let's uh let's backtrack a little bit now tell us about yourself you know where you came from originally what you studied if that's applicable how you got into travel writing and photography yeah, so I guess um, I'm from London. I'm from London. Um, and how did I get into travel writing? So I have an English degree. So I've always kind of worked in my first jobs were copywriting and publishing. I worked for um, Macmillan for my first job. And I oh, wow. worked as an advertising copywriter for a couple of years doing recruitment ads mostly. So I think I've been in every newspaper in the UK. But it would be a lineage ad and it wouldn't have my byline, but I have been that's, in everything from the Yorkshire Post to the, yeah, but it literally was, I was at, um, recruitment copywriting. So that was kind of where I cut my teeth. I wanted to be a journalist and I wasn't quite sure what to do. And out of, out of university with an English degree, kind of look, I did a, um, a really good secretarial course so I could type and do shorthand. Mm -hmm. And then I started looking at what, how I could get into the industry. And somehow I got kind of sidetracked into teaching. I don't know how that happened, but it did. I did a master. I did a master's as well in performing arts. So I have a master's from the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. So this is a text and performance studies master's degree, but I do have a degree in dance as well. So actually, I'm qualified. I, I could go on the. I could go on the stage. You know, I, well, I never really wanted to be a performer, but I really loved to. Um, I loved. I, I've danced since I was very young. Um, and I, yeah, and I studied screenwriting and I, I like stories and I say this to everyone when people say, well, you've done a lot of, and then I say, well, I'm old and then I say, no, it's not that. It's just like, <laughs> I'm interested in, you know, I've made pots, I've done ceramics, I can tap dance. It's if you kind of follow your passions and you do classes and this and that, I think everything comes back to storytelling. Um, you know, studying literature, studying plays. I've done, you know, studied sort of ancient um, Greek theatre, etc. And I've got a much dis How many degrees have you got? It feels like you studied about 800 different things. Well, no, I've, I mean, I've got... <laughs> no, only 790. I have a degree and a master's and a teacher training qualification in drama and English and, wow. and a diploma in digital photography that I did in Chile. And I studied screenwriting for a couple of, I, I know, I just, I like education. I like classes and I oh, guess now I'm doing a lot of teaching. So I'm giving it all back, <laughs> all the things Very I good. studied. The circle of life, wonderful. Yeah, but I do think when people say, you know, how does studying English relate to being a photographer or, I don't know, drama or dance or art even, you know, everything comes together. If you're a photographer, then studying art means you've kind of got an idea about, you know, um, composition and, mm visual kind of reading visual kind of uh, visual literacy, I guess, 
and then you're always putting stories together so I do think um and having an interest in the world I mean literature is about people's lives and you're reading Dostoevsky you're becoming an expert in you know that part of that time of history and so I don't think reading Shakespeare I think reading I was talking about Shakespeare on board the other day with some Americans and I don't know everything comes up everything sort of joins together one of my guides on board was called Rodrigo lots of Rodrigo's in Shakespeare's plays yeah. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> lots of them are set in parts of the world that we visit yeah. um you know Amazing. so Othello Cyprus my dad's from Cyprus I'm half Turkish sure. you know I just like the way everything connects I'm always looking at the little stories that you can you can make and Fantastic. I guess that makes you inquisitive, I would say. Absolutely. So, I think that's yeah. a huge, hugely important part of being a journalist, right? Wanting to know what's going on, want to kind of digest it and make sense of it. And then wanting to kind of share your, your experiences, share what you've learned with, with the rest of the world. I was listening to one of your interviews from um, a few of your podcasts and lots of your writers talk about wanting to write about culture. And culture is part of travel, right? So, 100%. you know, there are people that come into travel writing from being historians or being really um, quite experienced or um, passionate travellers. And you're always wanting to know who somebody is, where they're from, what they've done, if that's a photographer taking that person's picture. Or, you know, you're going, I'm, I'm going to go out and explore Santiago in a bit and go to some museums again that I haven't been to for a long time. So I'll probably get a kernel of a story just from going to look at something, you know, so yeah. that's... Yeah, well, travel writing, travel photography, it's, it is stories of people and their heritage and, you know, great, great portrait photography is 100% part of travel photography, right? You know, some. Absolutely. So one of one of your early podcasts is with Matt Parry, I was listening mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. this morning, just kind of getting a sense of how you do these. Um, and he was saying that, you know, he got into this because he's a traveller. And it's the same for me. I, Interesting. I just I love to travel and photography was secondary. I, and as I said to you, I was working in kind of public publishing and, and education. I was writing a lot. I was writing websites and all that kind of thing for like educational um, literacy and books oh. for children. And so photography for me was kind of just a real release and a creative release from everything else I was doing. I never wanted to do it for a living. It never occurred to me that I could work as a travel photographer. I just love oh. traveling. And so, you know, I always had a camera, though. I had my dad's camera when I was a kid. I was sort of six or seven, would pick it up and try and play with it. So I used to draw as well. And I think if you like visual, <laughs> some of the visual representation of things, and then you travel, of course, you start photographing. And I came to live in Santiago in 2004 after a trip to Machu Picchu in Peru. I just wanted to move to South America after that. Um, and I came within six months, I'd moved. Um, and then I just traveled as much as possible. And I started to see places that you could only really dream of as a, as a working photographer to try and get a commission mm -hmm. to go to um, Easter Island, Easter Tapasco, to go to the Amazon, to cross the border in the Andes and just get the bus on the weekend over into wherever. We used to bus up to the border of Peru, get on very cheap flights and go to Cusco and things like that. And this was all over weekends in school holidays. I was teaching, I was the head of English in a British school here. Um, I was training teachers as well. So, yeah, so my students saw my photos in an exhibition that were, was put on by my school and they all were saying that they thought they were really good and I should do something with them. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And then someone I was working with said, well, your photos are actually better than the, the professional photographer that comes in to do this and that. And I, I still didn't believe him. And then I, and there was, there, someone told me about some um, travel photography competition. So I entered a few 
um, one year, just at the end of my sort of stay in Santiago. And I came second in a couple of quite prestigious ones. I won some good prizes. Um, and I entered again the next year. And then the following year, I won Wanderlust Photograph of the Year. And they, and then I, that was when I came back to the UK just over 10 years ago. Um, and they sent me on a commission to Australia, which to be honest, I thought, you know, Coles to Newcastle for me because my parents <laughs> live in Australia and my sister sure. does. And I've been all over Australia and I thought, oh, gosh, they could have sent me somewhere like, I don't know, the Arctic. But actually, I think it was the making of my photography because it was completely out of my comfort zone. It was uh, more than a week of sleeping in a swag in the desert around a campfire with snakes yeah. and dingoes and all kinds of things that you think, oh, I don't want to be near. And it was beautiful and amazing. I watched the sunrise and set. I watched the moonrise in the morning, the Milky Way mm -hmm. over our heads. And I got used to roughing it and also being able to manage my camera in quite difficult conditions. And so I, I'm in a hotel at the moment. It does feel a bit weird to be somewhere comfortable. <laughs> I got used to hiking up hills in Chile and camping to get the best views, you know, be somewhere where the sunrise is that, you know, it's going to be quite difficult to get to other way. So that was kind of, I learned, I think, on that trip. And I was with another amazing Australian photographer who was such a lovely man. Um, and he actually got a little bit sick on the trip and he called me to where they, they brought the flying doctors in to sort of treat him. Oh, wow. And he told me to make an ECG thing and hooked up to his oh, heart, wow. you know, he was all right, thankfully, but he told me to photograph it because it was part of my story and he wanted me to photograph him, maybe if he died even. And I was like, oh, I, I don't want to do that. He said, no, you're a photographer, you photograph the story. And that's another good story about him is that he was all right, but they drove him back to Alice Springs to be treated. And there were some bushfires and he made them stop his ambulance to let him get out and photograph the bushfires and he sold he sold those photographs to newspapers and the and the um tv stations in australia so he was a good sort of role model for me it's like you shoot the story you know he, whatever the story is you shoot the story so yeah. that so you said that's basically arguably the kind of the making of your let's say the kind of transition to becoming a professional photographer obviously you lived in South America for many years at this point, and you go to Australia purely, purely off the back of this Wanderlust competition. Yeah, I guess those two things have kind of, is it fair to say that these two things have kind of shaped your career? I think it's fair to say now that you're a, you know, a South America and an Australia specialist when it comes to your photography. Is that, yeah. is that a direct uh, kind of result of the two earlier elements of your life? My sister moved to Australia a long time ago okay. now. I've been going to West, particularly Western Australia. Western, I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. that's my specialism, really. I've just been, you know, you, I always say to photographers who ask me, how do you kind of, you know, what do you do to sort of become, I don't know, to get published and become a better photographer? And I always say, shoot what you know, always photograph what you know, and know places, go back to places. And so for me, Western Australia has just become a place that I'm familiar with. Um, I understand the landscape and the culture. I know what animals live there. I know how people are. And it's the same in Chile and South America. When I come back to work here, I slot back into, you know, you know, because you've lived abroad. If you, when you go back somewhere you've lived in for more than a couple of years, I think you really become familiar with it. It's like a second home. And so you don't need all that prep time and decompression time and where am I and learn the language. It's like you're straight back in and so I think speaking the language, when you speak a language of a place or you're familiar with it, people do open up to you yeah. um, and you may get access to things you might not find out otherwise. And that's always good for a writer or photographer. You know, you start to see stories appearing in front of you. Um, so that's why I do like to come back to places that I know.
but I'll work, I'll work anywhere that sort of appeals to me. Um, and if I get offered some work in a place that maybe I haven't thought about, I'll always go. I mean, somebody offered me a trip to southern Norway and I'd never really looked into it. And when I, you know, when I did my research, it was beautiful. And of mm -hmm. course I said yes and got a commission. So yeah, well, usually I try to travel locally. So if I'm in London, I'll do European things. And then when I'm in Australia, so I go for a few months every year. Once I'm in Australia, I'll start looking at things I can do. If I can do road trips in Western Australia, that's ideal for me. Um, and then obviously this trip that I'm doing, I was trying to do a few side trips when I'm working as a photography expedition guide or, for, or lecturer on board. Then I'll try and, try and make some things happen around that. Fantastic. So it sounds like you're starting to work your way through the industry, starting to become more established in the world of travel photography. What kind of destinations, what kind of trips did you get to do? What were your first assignments? Yeah, I mean, I think that, as I said, that trip to Central Australia to the Northern oh. Territory was pretty special. And actually, I got to um, write the Rough Guide chapter to the Northern Territory Amazing. or update it rather. I didn't write the original chapter after that trip. So I think sometimes things happen later. Uh, my first sort of big commission, I guess, after the Wanderlust one, I worked for a South African in-flight magazine. Um, and I'd been on a really big trip to Cappadocia. So I started to do what a lot of photographers do, which is pick a place you want to photograph. Go there yourself, independent. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Get the story together and then pitch. Um, so I did a really nice piece, which is all photos and text on Cappadocia in, in Turkey. And Turkey is another specialist area because my dad's Turkish. So I, I kind of, I like to, if I can do a story about, I did one for Nat Geo on Pamukkale. I do look for stories for, in the cultures that I know. So yeah, that's another, I'm a bit of a jack of all trades sometimes. Um, <laughs> jack of all um, educations, then, jack of all cultures, well, I jack of I all just, I just, no, like a lot of people, I'm interested in lots of things, you know. But when you get old, when you're older like me, you'll have more things to say. Don't give me that, it. don't give me that. I don't think I'm that much of <laughs> rubbish but anyway um <laughs> i know i know you're younger than me um and then i did a piece on i did another piece on chile so i was going back to things that i already knew or already had photographed and you know it's just happened again i've just written something with photos for can i mention other magazines is that all right yeah feel free feel free the wonderful tonic magazine which is oh we love tonic hi benita we hi love rob tonic. hi and and the lovely juliet um i've just done a piece for them yeah. and I've been to Hol I've been to the Netherlands and done the Holland kind of flower fields a lot, oh, photographed those yeah. a lot. And I had a really nice idea for a story. So I used photographs from 
the back catalogue and more recent ones. So it's really nice, as I say, if you if you go to a place that you know, and photographers do this a lot, they kind of look at what they've got and they think, well, what didn't I do last time? I'm going to make sure I fill that that gap. And then if anyone says, and sometimes we do get these call outs, has anyone got any photographs of, sometimes they're really specific. It might say the Chilean Andes or something, but it, otherwise it can be like Montevideo. Is anyone an expert in Montevideo? Um, and so you say, you know, put your hand up and say, well, I know it well, or I've just been, or I've been, I was there a few years ago, or what is it, what is it you need? And so work does come to you sometimes if people know that, you know, you're, you're a specialist. Funnily enough, you just mentioned Montevideo there in, in Uruguay, obviously, which is the place that you wrote about for Journey magazine. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about how that came about. I got, obviously, I know you, so I'm from the British Guild of Travel Writers. Yeah. I've known you for quite a few years now. Um, Jordan, I know through, I guess I know Jordan through social media initially, yeah, right. I knew him initially, but I, as you mentioned, I wrote a book and I interviewed Jordan for my book. So every chapter has a different photographer that I wanted to talk to. And so I knew Jordan a little bit, but I hadn't met him. And then I met Cav <laughs> through the, through the <laughs> guild as well. Of course. Um, and then at a tonic event, I saw, I met Jordan in person. <laughs> so, you know, these things kind of are organic. And, you know, I know people always ask, how do you get into things? How do you get commissioned? Sometimes you're pitching. Other times people ask you. So I was actually at an event with CAV, which was a Latin American yeah. travel association. You were there as well. And we had a chat about Montevideo because he wanted someone to do a piece for on Uruguay. And so that's kind of how that came about. And I loved writing about it. It's one of my favourite um, countries in South America. It's very undersung. It's beautiful. Um, so I highly recommend. Got a friend actually over in Colonia del Uruguay at the moment. If I had a bit longer, I'd probably hop over to Buenos Aires now and carry on getting to Uruguay. The, the life of a travel writer, travel photographer. You hear that, folks? Oh, I might just pop across to Buenos Aires. If I had time, I'm coming no. back to London. I'm not doing that. I have to come back. I've got work no, commitments. I've got to come back for... <laughs> Fantastic. So you're you're doing the city guide on Montevideo for Journey, and you say you met Jordan through your book. It seems like a perfect opportunity to talk about your book. Of course, that's the Travel Photographer's Way, published by Brat Travel Guides. Tell us a little bit about how the book came together. Um, yes, I actually, um, like a lot of people will say on these podcasts, during COVID, we all had this downtime, didn't we? Sure. And actually, I had pitched the book beforehand. I'd thought about how I thought Brat Guides could. There's a there's a travel writer's way that came out. Yeah, Jonathan Lurie is behind. And I thought it was a lovely book. I really did. And I just had been thinking about maybe doing something photographic as a text. And obviously, you know, I've been an, an, an working in education for a while. So the idea of sort of sharing that seemed like a kind of a nice thing to put together. So I just pitched that to Brat. They liked it a lot. I wrote a couple of sample chapters just in February 2020, I filed them from actually, I filed them in Punta Arenas in the south of Chile. Oh, no and, got on board. Wow. and I got on board the ship and I did my trip. And then when I came back, everything shut down. Uh, and you know that there were lots of issues with things going ahead and not, and everything kind of was, was put on ice, wasn't it? Um, so I didn't think it would happen, to be honest. Um, and then suddenly there was there was a change. <laughs> everyone was in everyone was interested in armchair travel. People were reading a lot about travel and suddenly the book was back on. So I had time to write it, I guess. Maybe if I was doing it now, it'd be harder. But I did have sort of a good run at it, a good sort of six or eight months to really get it written. It was quite stressful writing it. It was <laughs> it was a lot. There's a lot. If you look at it, there's a lot in it. There's a lot of photos. There's a lot of text. 
there are assignments as technical stuff so and interviews so putting that all together i was kind of doing big chapters sometimes per week and then coming back and doing the photos but i had a lovely editor anna mort who's head of editorial at editor, director of editorial director of editorial sorry oh, anna. Well. she's awesome she's a fantastic editor at bright guys agreed, and, agreed. Also, and also your editor your lovely emma is also wonderful and she also works with Brat, doesn't she she's a writer as well and an editor and and so yes i'm very fortunate to work with some amazing amazing editors so i'm very grateful to them because they always improve your work you know including photo editors the way that photo editors make a choice it's not always the one you would pick um and that's another thing to say is don't if you're you know don't always think you need these wow pictures you need to tell the story so same with writing it's always you know sometimes it's the detail sometimes it's the big picture and so what good editors do is shape your work so my book definitely came about through um also the book designer as well we work together the three of us so you know it was a it was a collaborative effort um uh, Nora, tell us a little bit about the kind of the tips and advice that are shared in the book and then kind of connected to that what advice might you give to somebody starting out in the industry somebody who's looking to become a photographer? Yeah, so um, the book kind of goes through all the different types of travel photography that you might encounter. And actually, if you were to read it from cover to cover, you would then get incremental technical advice as it goes sure. along. And it gets Brilliant. more, I guess it gets more demanding as it goes on. If you're not interested in that sort of side of photography and you're more interested in the stories, then there are travel stories as well. So, I mean, tips, obviously the things I would say, if you want to sort of improve your photography, it's slightly different to if you want to be a travel photographer. Okay, um, so I'm about to do some masterclasses of National Geographic travel. I do those quite regularly. And I would say if you really want to improve your work, then, you know, taking classes or listening to experts, going to events where people are speaking, really immersing yourself. You know, people say you should network. And I think that's a good thing to do. But that can be there's a balance between being immersed and being around people and actually pushing and contacting and saying, look, I, I want this and I want that. I think mm. you have to really sort of follow your sort of, you know, read the room, follow your passion, but just be around people that are doing it. And if you want to kind of become a better photographer, then don't be afraid to fail a little bit, you know, take your camera off mm. automatic. You might take some awful pictures once you start using the settings. And I've just been with um, some photographers who've done that. And they say, you know, the minute I come off, auto then I've done this and it's too but they'll get one or two amazing pictures um I should also add I've been doing a lot of iPhone photography courses oh, interesting um, okay so many people that travel don't want to you know heave around all the kit and the phones are getting so good yes, so, so good. we've been doing you know and you can do so much with them so you know it depends what you want to do with your photography if you want to become a travel photographer then yeah you probably do need to so sort of have enough kit to travel with. But I do know photographers who only use phones and GoPros and the smallest equipment. Um, so tips would be, you know, follow your passion, know your locations, um, do your research. You know, the first three chapters of the book say know where you're going, know how to use the equipment you do have, whatever it is, you know, become an expert in that equipment um, and then and then plan ahead. So don't you need to go slow, I think. You need to travel slowly. If you are dashing about, you're never going to get a good picture. You might get the odd one or two if, if you're just being spontaneous. But if you want to get a luscious sunrise or sunset or you want to meet a specific type of person, 
think about where you're going. And if you just kind of like drop in, parachute in and expect to get great photos, I think there are some people that can do that and do do it. And that's lovely. But for the rest of us, it's really about being there long enough for people to let you take the photograph and for you to find those locations. You have to recce places. I was talking, I did a talk the other day on board the ship about one of my photos. It took me like five or six days to get because of weather, because of um, finding the right location. But if I'd been bust in and out for two days, I would never have taken it. And it became a DPS in National Geographic Travel. And so sometimes you do need to have that little bit of extra time. Follow the story, right? Let the story dictate you, I guess. Let the story dictate your agenda, not the other way around. I mean, for photographers, we tend to have a shot list that we're going to yeah, shoot and we know yeah. where we're going. We know what might open the thing. But then you need to have time to, as you say, find the other angles and, you know, let sort of let, let things unfold as well. So if you're there long enough, you have that time to look around, to meet people and things will appear to you, obviously. But you need the frame of what you're going to do before you get there. If you're on a commission, that is, if you're traveling on spec, that can be the difficult thing, I would say. If you want to get into photography, but you've never had a commission yet and you're going somewhere amazing, work as though you are a photographer already. Work as though you've got a commission, you know, fake it till you make it, nice. put a story together, find the angle. You need an angle. You can't send a photo editor 500 pictures. They won't want to see them. So, you know, pare it down, make it look like a story and think about how you would want to tell that story and send those pictures with your, you know, with your pitch. And then you're kind of going to get someone say, oh, I like the idea of that. No one's going to look through. It's like your holiday snaps. Nobody wants to see everything you did over two weeks. I mean, you can't, if you can't see the wood for the trees, then, you know, you can't expect anyone else to either. The phrase I've heard a lot, particularly in the world of photography, is kill your darlings, which sounds quite brutal, but you need, you know, it is all about the, the story, right? And even if you're, it's your favourite photo of the entire fortnight or entire six months that you've been away, if you're trying to tell a story via photography, if you're trying to create a portfolio of kind of congruous images that tell a story, and that image doesn't suit that portfolio, doesn't tell that story, you've just got to choose to not use it, right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you're going to have them on hand because a photo editor will come back to you and say, have you got any more of this and I sure. want it vertical? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I think being, if you can, I always leave my pictures for a while and then go back to them. I don't usually pitch. I, I need to look at them as though I'm objective. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then you start to see the story evolving. Um, but, you know, things like shooting vertical and landscape of everything so that you've got, you know, a cover shot or one, a one page picture. I think in the past people, or I certainly did, you always wanted everything to be wow and landscape and lovely light. You can shoot um, star trails and astro, and I love all that, and aurora, but the Gemini doesn't make it into print. It doesn't look that good in print. It can, it's quite nice on a website. You know, I just did a piece for adventure.com, which is about an eclipse that's coming to Australia. So I did a lot of night photography for that, and it was wonderful. But if you know your angle, you've already been commissioned, then it's easier. But if you're trying to sort of get someone to like your work, go back and look at what you've got from a trip and think, is there a story there? I've been doing some mentoring lately as well, people that are trying to get into photography. And it's always show me what you've got. And I can always see a story in someone else's archive. And so once you do that a few times, and actually the thing that really helped me was I went to a National Geographic event um, maybe about eight years ago. 
and I just stumbled into one of the talks where all my photos are on the screen and I had Good no Lord. idea they were going to, yeah, they used one of my spreads that I'd done for them. And they yeah. were talking about why they liked my pitch and why it was commissioned and what they liked about the story. And actually, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know what they were looking for. And so when I then do, it's, like, it's lovely to be a fly on the wall in, in some you know, <laughs> an editorial office and go, oh, they're yeah, looking definitely. for this. But that was really a, a kind of an eye-opening moment for me. And now I share that with people. And when I do the masterclasses or I do any of my own talks about my book, that's one of the things I say in chapter 11 of my book is also about getting published and what you do with all those photos. Um, curating a story, like you said, making it, giving it an angle. So, and also they should all look similar. If they all are very different color, color grades and, um, and you don't really have a kind of match in, in color palette, I should say, sure. you need to sort of think about that. And maybe you shot a few things over a couple of days and they look great together. Maybe that's your story. Maybe it's that one location in that big trip. And it's the same as travel writing, isn't it? You don't want to write about my holiday in Chile. It's, you know, the, the sort of two days looking at penguins in, you know, Isla Magdalena in Chile, that could mm -hmm. be the story. And so I think zooming in a little bit on, on one location, one angle, one thing, makes it easier to pitch. And then when you do that, sometimes an editor might reply and say, I do like the destination, but we would really want to cover something. The editors always have their own ideas, don't they, about what they're looking for. So trying to time that is quite hard. I've just pitched something to someone which would have been a lovely story for me, but they've already got someone else doing something similar. Awesome. And that's always happening to me. And I used to upset me. I'd be like, oh no, but that's, I, that's my story to tell. And now you just think there'll be another one. Someone will ask you to do something else. So be flexible as well. So they'll be able Definitely. to pivot. I know people don't like that word, but you do need to be able to pivot. Nothing wrong um, with the word pivot. And exactly yeah. as you say, we're kind of curating that story. I think that's probably the difference, right? Between becoming, you know, that's probably the difference between somebody who takes photos and somebody who is a photographer. They have that ability to, to see the story. We'll be back after these messages. Nora, uh, as we start kind of wending our way towards the end of the uh, of our time together, perhaps you can tell people how they can find you on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, website, etc. Yeah, I'm um, on Instagram. I'm just my name, Nora General Travel. Um, on Twitter, because I was on Twitter before I started doing this, right. um, I, I'm not. I'm Andy and Imaging. It sounds so pretentious, but I was trying to be anonymous <laughs> while I was while I was teaching in Chile. I tried to sort of have a name that wasn't synonymous with me, um, and so yeah. And I lived in in an apartment that looked at the Andes. And that's so, a pretty good reason, right? I think so. So yeah, um, don't do Facebook much. I'm on LinkedIn, but most I'm mostly I'm mostly active on Instagram. I'd Instagram. say, yeah. Amazing, amazing. Thank you so much. Folks, you've been listening to Nora Jamil, photographer, writer and videographer based in London. Thank you so much for your time, Nora. Thank you, Sai. It's been a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Folks, you've been listening to The Journey Podcast, where I, Sai Wilmore, talk with pioneers, trailblazers and thought leaders who are pushing the envelope in the travel industry. Thank you so much for listening and I'll speak to you soon.